It's time for another edition of Your Home Discovery, broadcast nationally on AM and FM radio stations, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and more, plus easily found on most social media channels. Podcast available at yourhomediscovery.com. Your Home Discovery, keeping everything around your home sweet home looking great. Now, here's your host, Charlie Campbell. If you have followed our Facebook page this week, you're pretty excited because we are joined once again, and it's been like way too many years, by a special friend who happens to be based in St. Louis, Missouri. Welcome, Woodturner artist and teacher, or better known as Jeff of all trades, Mr. Jeff Hornung. Hey, Charlie, what's going on? Thanks well, for having me. Well, absolutely. I uh, apologize. It's been uh, quite a few years since we've had you on the program. I don't know how time goes so incredibly quickly, but we need to do a better job of having you back more often. When you were on the last time, I had a lot of feedback that, you know, we talk about everything from excavation, concrete, framing, drywall, electrical, sheetrock, plumbing, roofing, guttering, siding, windows, doors, trim, staining. The list goes on and on if it has to do with your home. We also talk a little bit once a month about real estate as well. And rarely do we get to sidetrack a program and talk about something that's not only part of the construction process, the, the something that's fun, wood turning. We've got several pictures that you've shared with us that we are uploading to our Facebook page and getting onto our website as well, so you can check those out and follow along. Uh, Jeff, let's talk just a little bit in general about wood turning, what you enjoy the most about it, and for those that may not know, let's talk at a basic level what wood turning is. All right. Well, let's start with that then. Let's start with uh, the basics. Wood turning is basically taking a piece of wood, a chunk of wood, a branch, a piece of a log, uh, some part of a tree, putting it on a machine called a lathe, and the lathe spins the wood round and round, and I go at it with a variety of different hand tools while it's spinning and create either functional construction-type things, um, balusters for stairs or parts for chairs or, or clocks. Or what I really prefer to do is to make um, functional utility pieces like wooden bowls, vases, uh, hollow forms, boxes, and, and things like that. Absolutely. I, I have to be honest, and I'm not going to tell you the year because it dates me. But I remember in junior high, we that was my first exposure to a wood lathe, and we made pencil holders in junior high shop class on a wood lathe. And every time up until you were our guest on this program several years ago, my brain told me wood lathes are for making things like you mentioned, spindles, um, columns, uh, pencil holders, of course, because I made one. Um, uh, But I'll be honest, when when you were on the program, not only did I get a lot of listeners email in the show and tell me how amazing what we talked about was, I got a lot of traffic on our Facebook page as well. People don't think about making a wood bowl, but the thing that threw me the most was making an ink pen. I thought, 
how in the world can I do that on a lathe? <laughs> the, the, the breadth of things that you can make is, is amazing to me, and the quality of work that you produce is, is just also incredible. Tell me what you enjoy the most about it, Jeff. Um, what do I, what do I enjoy the most? Um, the next piece, uh, and that, that's really not a cop-out answer. I love, I love the process. Uh, I know I'm going to end up with a finished something at some point. Um, even, even if I blow it and and punch a hole through where I shouldn't punch a hole through, I'm going to end up with a finished something. So for me, truly the process is the greatest joy. There's that there is an enormous amount of exploration there's an enormous amount of let's see what i want to do versus what the piece of wood is going to allow me to do based on grain orientation or or bark inclusions or voids or or, or what have you and uh so yeah just trying to trying to explore and and try new things and and get this piece done so I can do the next one. That's that's really what I enjoy the most personally. That's pretty cool. Some things that you mentioned that I want to dig a little deeper into. What types of wood when we talk about when we talk about wood, most of us think of going to a lumber yard and and getting lumber. What we're talking about here is sections of a tree. Be it the Correct. be it the trunk of a smaller tree, I'm assuming, or even branches and those types of things. What diameters of sections of a tree are the most commonly used? What type of wood is your favorite, and which ones should someone turning wood avoid? All right. Well, first off, in my opinion, and this is strictly my professional my professional opinion, uh, all wood is good wood and free wood is better, but life is too short to turn pine. And the only reason why is because pine is very sappy. Right. Um, sometimes, sometimes like you, Charlie. Oh, uh, here pine- we go. <laughs> <laughs> I knew there was going to be a Charlie slam in here somewhere. I just didn't expect <laughs> it this early on in the program. Yeah, so yeah. 10 points he for you, Jeff. scores. Yeah, you, you gave me the setup. I had to go with it. Anyway, um, the only reason why I don't personally like turning pine is because of the volume of sap. It gets over everything, including me and the ceiling and the floor and the tools and the machine. Right. And it's just kind of annoying to clean up. Um Favorite wood? I don't think I have one. Uh, simply because all wood is good wood, and free wood really is better. Um, any uh, any domestic American hardwood, so cherry, maple, walnut, uh, Osage or uh, Osage orange, or bodark, as some folks call it, or hedge apple. It's all the same tree. Um, sycamore is good. Ash is fantastic. It, it all boils down to personal preference and what you're trying to accomplish with the end result, that uh, certain woods are going to be less exciting as far as their grain, but they might be more structurally, structurally strong for functional pieces, or you know, your balusters, your porch columns, things of that nature. Um, sometimes you'll get a piece of burl or a piece that is uh, like, like a, a, a joint, joint area where the two trunks come together and you can have a lot of figure in that area. And uh, it totally depends on what you see when you get into it. Um, but there's also an enormous amount of what we consider to be exotics, woods from uh, South America or Africa, that those woods are completely different, usually exponentially more dense than what we get here domestically in the States. 
States, but the, the color and the figure, I think simply because of where they're grown, uh, it has a tendency to be amazing and very wide, wide variety of color and figure. So it all, it all boils down to what you want that end piece to look like, to function as, and that determines what, what type of wood that you're going to pick. Sure. Now, when we talk about wood that has grown in a cold climate versus wood that has grown in more of a year-round warm climate, what differences do you see when you're turning wood from different areas and different climates? Density and color, truly. That if you're if you're dealing with a South American or or an African type wood, uh, those are grown, you know, pretty much in a fairly temperate zone year-round, and, and you get a much wider range of color, everything from every shade of brown under the sun to purple and orange and red, um, truly a wide range of colors where, uh, like domestic American hardwoods, especially here in the Midwest where we've got lots of seasons, and, and actually this week I think we have all of the seasons at the same time. It happens um, a lot, <laughs> I'm telling you, in this region. Wow. That that has a tendency uh, to change the color and the grain structure simply because these trees have to go dormant for at least a quarter of the year, right? In order to in order to replenish and 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 revitalize for the next growing season, um, and so there's there's not as much there's not as much color variety. Uh, there's not as much wood density. Uh, but that's that's not a bad thing. It's just it's just a thing. And you know, truth be told, I turn an enormous amount of maple simply because that allows me to do what I like to do, the art pieces that I like to do sure. The best. Sure. Does the dormancy somehow affect the wood in any way that lack of dormancy wouldn't? Uh, grain grain density. Grain uh, density. Overall grain density that you've okay. you've got. You've got your growth rings, which is which is when uh, the the tree is effectively in, heading towards that next size. So it starts at the beginning of a growing season. You get the growth wood in between the rings, which is usually not as dense as the ring itself. And then you've got the end of the growing season, uh, and and that that's where you get the the grain of the woods, the darker lines. It's usually the demarcation between growing seasons. Uh, you know, so you're able you're able to count the rings, but you're going to have more uh, more growth wood, or you're not going to have as much growth wood in between. So the wood itself is not going to be as dense as something grown in uh, a, a tropical or subtropical environment. Stay tuned. Your home discovery continues straight ahead. Your home discovery now continues. Here's your host, Charlie Campbell. Joined in studio by Jeff Hornung via telephone, owner of the Walnut Log out of St. Louis, Missouri. Jeff is a wood turner, an artist, and a teacher. We've started talking a little bit about the wood turning, a little bit about artistry. Jeff, let's talk briefly about your teaching and, and what you teach, how you do it, and how often? Good. That's a great topic to cover. Um, I was always the guy, um, you know, back in the day, like when you were in junior high, back in the day, so late, <coughs> late, late 90s. <coughs> uh, um, <laughs> junior high in the 90s. You can keep this talk up all day long. Well, I figured after taking the cheap shot earlier, I'd, I'd, I'd suck up a little bit. 
Um, but, uh, yeah, the teaching. I, I was never one to want to teach anybody anything. Um, honestly, I didn't like people very much <laughs> in general. <laughs> Some uh. people, it's still the case, but, yeah. It's, uh, I, I never wanted to teach. Um, I did not do great in school, fully admit it, um, I, I, mostly because I didn't pay attention, so that's on me. Um, but I never, I never wanted to teach anybody. And then once I started getting involved in the wood turning, um, I, I realized that there were an enormous amount of people that were taking time out of their lives to teach me something that they were passionate about that I was also becoming passionate about. And I realized uh, that there, that there finally came a point where I was prepared to start sharing some of the stuff that I knew to people who were interested in, in, in what I was doing or people that were as passionate about what I was doing as I was. And uh, I kind of discovered that um, teaching is really, really way more important to me than I ever would have expected previously. Well, and when you're it. when you're well, passionate about something and you've learned from people that shared with you, it, it almost gives you that feeling of wanting to pass that along. Exactly, exactly. And so I started teaching um, just one-on-one classes in my shop, and obviously this was all pre-COVID, uh, where I would have local students come in, right? Every once in a while, I'd get an out-of-town friend who was coming through, and they'd come in for a, a lesson or two in my shop. Right, uh, but then I got involved. Uh, I started teaching for um, a not-for-profit private art school here in St. Louis called the Craft Alliance School of Art and Design, and uh, we teach we teach wood turning, and I also do uh, a, a, an entry-level beginner woodworking cutting board class. And um, hmm. the next that next session is actually going to start on Wednesday, the April the seventh. And uh, basically, in the cutting board class, I have a number of students, and we do everything from a solid cheese board uh, to a, a drunken cutting board, which is uh, a board that you cut with uh, a couple of curves on the bandsaw, and you glue it all back together, and you, and you can end up with some really neat uh, effects simply by gluing, cutting and gluing various pieces of wood back together again. Yeah, that was and, something uh, else that I remember doing in junior high was was cutting and, and making things like a checkerboard and boy that started out yeah. to be confusing but once you once you you look up and, and and it's amazing how much time can go by and you you know if you've got the ability and you have the interest in that type of thing it's amazing how that can just suck you in and obviously it sucked you in at a passionate level where you're now teaching it i wish i was close enough to come on wednesday yeah, well, you have an open invitation to my private shop anytime you want. Well, I've been there once, and you were a little uh, a little nervous when I picked up a few tools and 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 thought about messing with one specific log that you had there in your shop. But we'll True, leave that but as you as you stated in your intro. There, there's that whole thing about getting blood on things. We're, yeah. we're trying really hard not to do that. Uh, wood turners, <laughs> wood turners rule number one: don't get blood on the wood, and then everything else will be fine. Right. And if we just keep the blood behind the skin, then we're, you know, even safer. We don't get it on anything. You've done a lot of virtual classes, I'm understanding. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I actually, actually, I was ahead of the curve on this, which is rare. Um, But I started, I I started thinking about virtual wood turning classes or sessions uh, back in 2016. And um, I talked to a couple of people 
Um, I was working with a few folks trying to get something put together, but the the camera technology and the internet stability was was just not there. It was not cost effective right. uh, to get into something like that unless you had the backing of a TV production crew. Sure. Um, and but then closer to 2019, as 2019 started, uh, there there was a movement in the wood wor- wood turning world where where people were being able to utilize uh, relatively uh, inexpensive software and webcams to put together a virtual studio in their shop. So I got involved in that and started doing a couple of live remote interactive demos where, you know, normally some a, a wood turning club would, would pay me to come to their location out of state usually and do a live demonstration. Well, I could do almost everything exactly in the same manner from my own shop if I had the right camera technology and internet connection. I could just broadcast into somebody else's uh, event oh, sure. if, if they wanted me to. And then that's just kind of snowballed from there. Um, I was ready and ready to go when 2020 hit, uh, making the switch from live trade shows to virtual demonstrations. You know, there was definitely a loss in uh, financials, but um, being able to keep myself out there and working and demonstrating and sharing. That was that was a great way to help get through the majority of the worst part of 2020. And uh, and it's just going gangbusters now. Absolutely. Um, I actually did, I was the very first inter- live remote interactive wood turning instructor for the John C. Campbell Folk School. Um, I actually talked them into letting me do that. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we, I, ran, I ran a two-day, and it was two days total, you know, all day Friday, all day Saturday, live, uh, the students would beam in from where they were in their own shops, and as long as I could see and hear them, and they could see and hear me, I could I could teach and diagnose most of the problems that they had. We ended up making some really cool projects. Everybody got an enormous amount out of it, and um, while nothing is going to replace an in-person, hands-on type event, having access to the virtual programs as well. I see this continuing, you know, for the rest of our natural days at the very least. Well, the first thing that came into my mind when you were talking about cameras and wood turning, you know, I thought, wow, you're going to have to have an awful long cord if you mount that camera on that piece of wood and it starts turning (laughs) because it's going to pull it right out in a hurry. Wood doesn't necessarily spin at the speed of light, but it's not just sitting there either. It has to be, there, there has to be a rhythm based on the diameter and the speed and the way in which you touch the log with the tool so that you're not just creating a mess, you're actually creating the art. There's a combination, I'm assuming, to all of that. And it seems to me that the virtual level versus I'm thinking of you on a lathe and a bunch of people sitting in chairs watching this, seems like the virtual would allow you a really close look at your hand, your technique, your speed, it would allow you to really teach that almost as well as if the person was standing right beside you. Well, uh, compared to some of the demonstrations I've been in and and the fact that some woodturning clubs only have a camera, maybe two, um, and 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 the guys that are running the cameras, you know, bless their little hearts, they're not they're not AV specialists, so they're they're kind of half watching the demo and kind of half running the camera. So and the audience is not always getting the best view. But uh, in my shop, 
in my digital classroom, um, I'm currently running four cameras simultaneously. They can, they can see me. They can hear me. I've got pictures. I've got video clips. I can zoom in where I need to. I can zoom out if that helps. Um, I'm running a green screen so I can do some really cool digital editing trickery and, uh, you know, make it a lot of fun as well as keeping it really informative and interesting and giving the people what they need. So looking at it from a student perspective, because uh, I'm always going to be a student myself as sure. well, looking at it from that student perspective, I kind of have an idea what the viewer needs to see based on my presentation so yeah uh being able to being able to do that and and position my cameras and switch back and forth in real time is is really a very effective way to teach virtually so i have a great business idea for you jeff i, I don't know okay. if you'll embrace this but I, I i've already seen how you're pretty good at mailing wood shavings to people so i was just going to suggest <laughs> that if people signed up ahead of time you could mail them some chips of the wood that you're going to be turning so during the visual event they could smell it. Because if you've ever done this, if you've ever been in a wood shop or if you've ever turned wood on a lathe, you know that there is just the most awesome smell. Oh, yeah. Cedar smells really good. Maple smells pretty good. Um, box elder smells like a barn. Oak has a tendency to smell like, well, it smells like vomit. Um, and then there's a, there's an exotic wood out there called babinga, which quite literally smells like dill pickle. Uh, it's the coolest thing ever. Wow. <laughs> it makes you hungry. Wow. But yeah, every, every wood has an interesting smell. But not all smells, not, not all wood smells are good ones. So well, and again, a lot of it depends on your frame of reference. Out of everything you listed, the one that smells like a barn resonates the best with me because quite honestly <laughs> i like the smell of a barn more helpful ways to build and improve your home sweet home are straight ahead stay tuned your home discovery now continues here's your host charlie campbell I'm Charlie Campbell, inviting you to join us on our Facebook page and check out the pictures of things that we're talking about today. I also invite you to our website. Would love to hear from you if you have a project, a question, something you're stuck on. Maybe you're thinking of doing an addition this spring, adding a deck, changing a door, and you have any questions, you can go to our website, click on the Ask Charlie box. I'll get a message and we will get back to you with all the answers that we can muster up. And if we don't have a good answer, how's this sound? We'll just make one up. We are joined in studio via the telephone by Jeff Hornung, woodturner, artist, and teacher, owner of the Walnut Log out of St. Louis, Missouri. Jeff, again, I appreciate you carving time out of your Saturday morning to share with us. It's been too many years since we had you on the program, and it's amazing how quick time today is flying. This is a pretty exciting topic. A lot of people enjoy woodworking in general. A lot of do-it-yourself type people will have a miter saw, a table saw, uh, some of the electronic battery-operated tools, uh, drills, those kinds of things. But to get into a lathe involves a little more training and education, and I think you find at least for some, a much deeper passion for turning wood. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, 
first off, again, thanks for having me. I always, I always enjoy coming on the show. Um, we need to do this more often. I, Agreed. I like coming out and hanging out with you guys. Um, but as far as, as far as the level of commitment or dedication, yeah, a lathe, a lathe can be a fairly healthy investment. Um, my wife is not standing behind me, so I, you know, I, I've spent a fair amount of money, um, but I'm Jeff, dealing Jeff, with... Jeff, Jeff, uh, let's not yeah. go there. I know she <laughs> listens to the program, or she'll catch yeah. it on the podcast, and we don't need her upset. That's the last thing we uh, need. Best to ask for forgiveness. That's right? true. That's true. Then, we'll then we'll then just go with that. that when I'm on the air. That's yeah. true. We'll just go um, with that. But I've got a couple of uh, more expensive full-size machines in my shop, and uh, I need I need these machines. I needed to make that investment simply because of uh, the volume of, of pieces that I turn per year, uh, the size ranges that I'm pref- I prefer to, to turn with, um, the weight of the chunks of wood that I'm starting with can be uh, a little on the heavy side, uh, but but you don't have to get the biggest and the best. You don't have to spend multiple thousands of dollars. Um, Honestly, I've seen some very highly skilled, high-level turners make some of the most mind-numbing creations on old lathes that they bought at Harbor Freight. So, you know, it's you, you don't have to spend thousands. You could get in with a couple of hundred, and, and as long as you have the ability to get some instruction independently not right. not just on like a youtube uh but you join a club or or um work with somebody that that is experienced in wood turning or take a class somewhere uh, if you can get a little if you can get a little turning education um you can do an enormous amount of really cool work with relatively inexpensive tools and equipment right and then there's some other things that go along with it, maintaining your equipment. It's not about how old the equipment is. A lot of times it's how well it was maintained, how often you sharpen your tools, and, and as you said, the training. So uh, what, kind of a, what kind of an investment would someone make time-wise to go from having never mounted a piece on a lathe to being able to get started turning something that looks pretty cool? Are we talking about... Four or five sessions? Are we talking about hour-long sessions? Kind of paint a picture for me for someone who's never mounted something on a lathe. How long until they're as uh, you know, just getting the basics down? Obviously, this is going to be a very general answer because every individual is going to be different. Absolutely. Um, but I teach I teach a lot of beginning classes here in St. Louis, and uh, those those sessions run either four weeks or six weeks, um, about three hours per week. So it's like a, a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night down at the art school, sure. and um, we'll meet four four to six weeks in a row. And I take people who have never turned before and get them enough skills and experience that they will walk out of there with several finished projects, not just, not just practice boards with, with movements that they've worked on. But uh, the, the very first class, the, the plan is to have them turn a mushroom, just a very a relatively primitive design. Keep it simple, but that sure. will teach them how to use uh, the first three tools that I like to introduce. And then the second week uh, will turn spin tops so that, you know, they're walking out with something that they can play with. Look what I made, and you can play with it, and here you go. And that teaches a few more skills. And then the following class, we will do the outside 
of a bowl. And the outside of the first bowl usually takes about three hours. And then the, the next session, the fourth session, we'll do the inside of the bowl. And once you're at that point, you have enough skill foundation to be able to move forward in your own shop. Uh, that it's, it's a very good way to, to learn how to do this. Well, let's talk through just a few of the pictures that you have already sent me. Of course, my sure. favorite is the one you're, you're, you're standing right in the middle of with the official Walnut Log t-shirt, which, you know, no pun intended, I haven't graced the, the ability to open my mailbox and get one of those yet. I'll have to get on that list. But let's talk about what's in your hands. All right, so um, I'm looking at the picture that I sent you, and that, that's my bald but shining face right in the middle. <laughs> um, and, and, and full disclosure, that photograph was taken in my shop, which does not have a barn built in. Um, that, that is part of my green screen trickery, and if I wouldn't have said anything, you wouldn't have known that that was a, 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 a made-up composite photograph. Actually, I was um, going to ask if that was taken in front of a barn <laughs> that I used to own, because it looks just like it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's stock photo from uh, one of my photo subscription things, and uh, I just, I just felt that it, that it worked. So the now, products you're holding, these things just, yeah. just make my head hurt trying to figure out how in the world you got those kind of colors together the way that you did. It's, it's not that difficult. It, it might be technical, but it's not that difficult. Um, and that's something I like to say to my students, just because. It looks like it's hard doesn't mean it necessarily is. Right. You might need to learn a skill or how to use a, a, a coloring process or something, but most people can do what I do uh, with just a little instruction. Now, let's start with the, the blue and white one, if we could. Sure. Um, that That's the piece that really put me on the map. That one is called Morocco Blue, and I did it in uh, late 2015, early 2016. And um, my background, I was a ceramics manufacturer. The family business was ceramics. Sure. So I, I really like the blue and white Delft porcelain and, you know, the uh, tableware, plates, bowls, things of that nature. And I started doing a little research um, and trying to, in trying to figure out how to create that look out of a piece of wood, that I wanted to take a piece of wood and make it look like a piece of pottery. And by simply using um, a variety of texturing tools and coloring techniques, I was able to create that that illusion. And uh, that, that really got me noticed. Um, so there's been uh, magazine interviews, there's been art awards and, and things of that nature. And it's just been, it's just been a wild ride. But that one, that one's where it all started, and, and that's that's kind of kind of kind of a cool thing to think about. And then um, the spiky one, the spiky one yeah. with the uh, with the bowl. Um, that is that is the first piece I finished in an artist residency I was in uh, the second half of 2019, and the title of that piece is Road to Recovery. Now, the thing that got me started in wood turning was a head injury in a car accident. And um, one of the things that I thought about or that, you know, people always talk about when you're when you're injured in some manner or form is this this road to recovery. Right. And uh, and everybody, when you say that, you're thinking this linear point A to point B. But the road that I have on that piece is curved and varied and 
bumpy and gnarly and full of potholes and there's there's nails and and whatnot obstacles and that was kind of my take on what the road to recovery actually is that you're not going point a to point b sure you're going from point a to a different point a mm-hmm. you know and, and and so that was that was definitely an art piece and um, much more sculptural much more conceptual definitely not functional so uh, a definite um, different direction, but it was an enormous amount of fun, that residency. And then uh, the three-colored bowl, um, that's actually made out of bits and pieces of three different types of wood. So I've got maple, I've got uh, purple heart, which is the purple one, and then paduke, which is the orange one, um, and using using a table saw and some, some um, design software and, and a little bit of math, I was able to cut segments. Little, little blocks and glue them together into rings and then stack the rings to form the bowl and then I bring it over to the lathe and I turn the final form but an, another another very technical aspect but all well within the realm of woodturn some pretty amazing stuff stay tuned your home discovery continues straight ahead Your home discovery now continues. Here's your host, Charlie Campbell. Joining us in studio via telephone, Jeff Hornung, owner of the Walnut Log in St. Louis, Missouri. Jeff is a woodturner, an artist, and a teacher, and he has enlightened us so many ways about things that you can do on a wood lathe. You'll want to go to our website or our Facebook page and check out the pictures that we are sharing do you have to be a big strong guy in order to be a successful wood turner absolutely not uh there was a time back in the day when size and strength was really important um in order to be a turner uh in order to work with the machines work with the tools but i would say over the last Oh, I don't know, 15 years, the advances in modern machinery and modern tool steel has, has pretty much leveled the playing field. Uh, wood turning is no longer a game of strength. It's actually a game of finesse. And when you really start to understand the process, um, you start to understand that the harder you push against a piece of wood, the harder that wood is going to push back. So right. in order to get the best cuts you need to use less force. And that's kind of counterintuitive to what most people assume. Um, But I have seen some phenomenal work being done by people who are not big burly (laughs) men. They're not, they're not out there, you know, lifting giant logs onto lays. And if you want to do something like that, you're going to have to be a little bit stronger, but um, there's, there's a huge, uh, element of of women in turning there's actually uh an international chapter of the american association of wood turners called women in turning wit and uh there there are there are just a staggering number of of very talented women turners and it's simply because they don't need to worry about raw physical power they've got the tools and the machinery to take care of stuff like that so they can focus on just exploring and making really neat stuff well and let's be honest guys are always thinking that there has to be more power involved and if you let the machinery do the work like you said it's learning that finesse it's taking taking the time 
to relax and realize the machinery and the tools that you're using have a purpose and they're perfectly capable of doing this project. You're simply guiding the tool and the machine is doing the work. Exactly. I tell my students all the time, I'm lazy. Some people say, no, you're really not. I say, yeah, actually I am. Um, I don't want to have to physically exert any more than absolutely necessary during any project because that means I'm going to get tired and I'm not going to be able to do as many things that I want to do. Sure. Um, be, be like Jeff. Be lazy. Let the machine do its job because that's what it's built for. Let the Make sure your tools are sharp, uh, but working with modern tool steel, that edge is going to last longer, which means you're going to be able to make more cuts standing in front of the lathe and get more done and have more fun and experience more new and exciting designs simply because you're not having to, you know, be all brawny and grunty and stuff. Absolutely. Well, you know, as always happens when you join the program, I do remember this from several years ago. We're certainly not lacking for things to discuss. We'll have to have you back more often, and I I assure you we will get that done. In our final minute or two here, I just want to cover real quick, how would someone find you online? I'm assuming you have a website we should at least share. I have two websites that you can share. You can share my regular business site where I sell woodworking supplies. That is www.thewalnutlog.com. Okay. You can go to my artist website and see some of my finished work, which is jeffhornung.com. I'm on Facebook, Jeff Hornung, and The Walnut Log. I'm on Instagram, The Walnut Log Studio. Uh, and Jeff Hornung, <laughs> Jeff Hornung Winterner, I think, is, is my other Instagram. Um, I'm all over the place. You can you, find me all over the World Wide Web. You have about as many different ways to be seen as we have different ways to be heard. That's pretty cool. So thewalnutlog.com, jeffhornung.com, I will get those posted to our show's Facebook page as well. So if you didn't catch all that or couldn't write it down and you want to visit, I would highly encourage you to check out thewalnutlog.com and jeffhornung.com. Jeff, thank you again. Hey, Charlie. Thanks for having me. I love doing this show. Well, I always appreciate having Jeff Hornung join us here on the program. We have an email we have to get to yet today, but wasn't that information on wood turning incredible? If you didn't get this written down, I'm giving you a couple of seconds to get a piece of paper and a pencil. JeffHornung.com. J-E-F-F-H-O-R-N-U-N-G.com. When you go to that website and take a look at some of the stuff that he's turned on a wood lathe, you will... The one that still amazes me, and, and, and I've told him, it's the, it's the pen. <sighs> These wood lathes are just so cool. Anyway, info at yourhomediscovery.com. It's your source for your questions. Heard by someone else. I mean, I'm a sounding board. I have a lot of folks that are more than happy to help. I call it kind of an advisory panel. Info at yourhomediscovery.com, and the question is about a drinking water system. So we've gone from turning wood to drinking water. Anyway, the email says, I don't exactly understand if I'm being fed a line. I'm not sure what a line is, but anyway. um, 
Not sure if I'm being fed a line about my water system. My drinking water connects to my refrigerator to provide clean water ice. Just reading this word for word. And it says, the service technician told me the reason I'm having problems with my ice maker is that I don't have enough pressure to turn the ice maker off. And I don't want to turn the ice maker off. What I want is for it to make ice. I've seen this disconnect for years between a homeowner and a service technician. And I, I think it's a language barrier because service technicians think sequential order of operation and they start talking that way. And they're, they're using words that aren't common everyday terms for people in other industries. So these terms go by really fast and sometimes they don't make sense. And a lot of times that's when I get emails like this one. I did reply, but I said that I would also cover it on the program. With a drinking water system, the product that they have, and there's a picture of it here on this email, it's a reverse osmosis drinking water system. It's an under sink, has uh, three filters, and a dedicated faucet beside the kitchen sink faucet for drinking water. And I see in one of the photos, there's a T in the line feeding the faucet that goes over to the refrigerator to feed ice and water in the door. And after a couple of emailed exchanges, I learned more about this. And what's happening is the ice maker is freezing up and plugging up and not making ice. The service technician came out, took a look at it, and said the problem is there's not enough pressure. In order to shut the fill valve off to the ice maker, you have to have at least 15 pounds or the valve won't seat. It will just barely seep a little water past. When you have just a little water seeping past in the freezer, it freezes and it continues seeping on top of the frozen water until the tube that refills the ice maker is completely plugged. So the the problem here is that drinking water systems work at 50% of line pressure. The automatic shutoffs are designed, if your incoming water pressure is 50 pounds, it's going to shut off at 25. It's not going to then turn back on again to start making good quality drinking water until 12 and a half PSI. 50, 50, 50. So it typically takes around 13 to 15 pounds to shut that off. And a perfect storm happened that a lot of water was used. And that's the answer. That's why the pressure is a problem. Is there any answer? Yes. You take the automatic shut off out of the drinking water system and you put in a permeate pump and then it uses the wastewater to repressurize the water going into the stored tank. Now we eliminate that 50% curve. Info at yourhomediscovery.com. If you have questions, I'm more than happy to address them. If you have a thought or a topic, I would love to hear from you. Additionally, I'd like to know where you are in the United States. Shoot me an email. Info at yourhomediscovery.com. More home construction tips and information on our next edition. Take care.
Thanks for enjoying another edition of Your Home Discovery with Charlie Campbell, a presentation of CQH Ranch, LLC, keeping everything around your home sweet home looking great. Broadcast nationally on AM and FM radio stations, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and more, plus easily found on most social media channels. Tune in again soon for more tips and ideas to keep your home sweet home looking great. Podcast available 24-7, yourhomediscovery.com.